Take out your outlines and let's look at this week's story. We're going to be looking at the story of a shepherd who became a king. The story of King David. I love David. I love David issues and all. I love David because David at times was a misfit. Ever feel like a misfit Christian? And at times, he was such a man after God's own heart. And oh, I want to be like that. Let's back up just a moment. The last time we were together, you remember, we had another king. His name was Saul, head and shoulders tall above everybody else. And the people were clamoring for a king. And Samuel, the prophet, was so upset by this. And God says, no, Samuel. Let them have their way. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. But you warn them, and in spite of Samuel's warnings, that you're now going to have really high taxes, your kids are going to be drafted into the military, your crops, your, your cattle, your sheep, they're all going to go to the king if he wants them. And they still said, we want a king. And so God gave them exactly what they wanted. I think he read their hearts. They were looking for somebody kingly. And and that was King Saul. The Bible says he was tall, dark, and handsome. He was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the kingdom. And and he started off well with the power of God, doing things right, and had a great victory over the Ammonites. But he ended very, very lousy. It's not how well you start. It's how well you end is what really, really matters. And God sends him on a holy war against the Amalekites. And God says, this is a holy war. You're not to take any of the spoils. And you are not to leave anyone alive. And he did both of those things wrong. And as a result of that, he was rejected by God. And so God chooses another king. A young, unlikely candidate. A shepherd boy named David. You remember the story. Samuel's told to go to... Bethlehem. We now know Bethlehem is the city of David. And he says there's a house, a man named Jesse. He's got some sons. One of them you're, good, you're going to anoint as the new king. And so he arrives at Jesse's house. He says, Jesse, can you bring all your boys together? One of them's going to be anointed king today. And Jesse has got to be excited. And so in these seven boys come. And uh, They're all good-looking guys. Eliab was the oldest. And you know what Samuel thought in his heart? He thought, surely it's Eliab. I mean, he just looks kingly. And you know, God spoke to him very clearly and says, "Uh, uh, 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 uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. We've already made this mistake once. Don't look at the outward appearance of a man. That's deceiving. God looks at the heart. And so he goes over to Eliab, and God says, no, not this one. And then Shemaiah, no, it's not this one. And on down the list he goes until he gets to the seventh boy, and God says, it's none of these. So now what's Samuel to do? I'm supposed to be at Jesse's house. I'm supposed to anoint one of his children as the next king, and yet it's none of these. And so Samuel says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse goes, oh, yeah, there's, there's this one. He's a... He's a shepherd boy named David. He's out in the fields tending the sheep. But, you know, he's the run of the litter. He's not real kingly. I'm sure it's not him. He says, we're not going to sit down and have this meal together until that boy gets here. And sure enough, David comes 
in and he's anointed king and there's rejoicing in the house. You know what I like about David? When God came to David, he makes a promise in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, 11 and following. God says, the kingdom is never going to be removed from you. When God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. Look at this verse. He even says, when your days are over and when you go to be with your fathers, in other words, when you're dead, I will raise up an offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons. Who becomes the next king after David? You remember? His son Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And then the, the seed line of Jesus Christ carries on through David's lintage. And you know, the Bible says in verse 14, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established. How long? Forever. Who's on the throne today? His name starts with a J. I'll give you a hint. Jesus. Where was Jesus born? In the city of David, Bethlehem of Judea. And he reigns today as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And how long will he reign, folks? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Wow. Don't you know that had to excite David when he heard those words? My kingdom will reign forever through Jesus Christ. He knew more about the gospel and the coming Messiah than the people of Jesus' day. I love this about David in that he was so ordinary. His own family did not suspect he would be a king. Can God use ordinary people? Absolutely. He does it all the time to do extraordinary things. Now, David's story, one of the things I like about David, David had leadership. How do you know he had leadership? Because he had fellowship. If you think you're a leader and no one's following you, you're just taking a walk, all right? <laughs> One day David was in the heat of battle. Look at this verse up here. I think I got it. 2 Samuel 23, 15. Did I put that on the screen? Did I not? I'm not sure if I did or I didn't. I think I did, maybe. I did, okay. Rather than read it, let me just paraphrase it. They're in the heat of battle one day, and, and he's thirsty. And he does a little out loud, you know, thinking. He says, man, I sure wish I had a drink of water. And three strong men, soldiers, whose master's wish was more binding than a command, they fought their way through enemy lines to get David a drink of water. You say, well, why didn't they just, did David not have water in the camp? Oh, sure, they had water in the camp. I said, David, we'll go get you a drink of water. It's right here. He said, no, I'm just thinking about that well back home, that spring back home where mom used to give me to drink from. Oh, the water was so cool and refreshing and sweet tasting. And those men fought their way through enemy lines, went to that spring, brought back water, fought their way back through enemy lines, and gives that drink of water to David. They said, David, guess what we just did? We went and got you a drink from that very well in which your mother used to give you to drink from. And David was so impressed by that, so taken back by that. Number one, that they would do something like that for him, but number two, they endangered their lives. They said, you know, you guys are too precious to me. Don't ever do something like that again. 
But number two, this drink of water is so precious to me, I don't deserve it. And you know what he did with it? He poured it out to God as a drink offering. He's saying, I'm not worthy of this. Only God is worthy of a gift so precious. But that tells you something about the leadership ability of this guy named David, right? When your soldiers are willing to risk their lives just to get you a drink of water? Amen? Wouldn't you like to have that kind of leadership characteristics? Well, you've got to be a man. You've got to be a woman after God's own heart. And when people see that, they will follow you anywhere. And they saw that attribute in David. Now, David was on the, on the, on the right track to be the next king. You know, he killed a lion, he killed a bear, and he killed a guy named Goliath. One day, his father sends him to check on his brothers who are in the army of King Saul. And they are about to fight the Philistines. And for a number of days now, the Philistine giant would come up. The way they would do it back in those days, one army would get on this side, and then there would be about, you know, maybe... 50 yards between them, and then the other army would line up. And they would often bring their champion fighter out to the middle. And that champion would taught the enemy army to bring out their champion. And then those two would start fighting, and then the battle would begin. Well, Goliath is the Philistine champion, and he is taunting the people of God. And he is saying, who's going to come and fight me? You claim to be the the chosen people. You claim to ha have a God in Israel. Is there not someone willing to challenge me? And, and no one would go. And King Saul saying, you know what? I'll relieve you of your taxes. You can marry my daughter. You have a high position in government. Let's get somebody out there. But nobody's going, okay? Do you see the picture here? Well, David shows up to check on his brothers and bring supplies for the military. And he sees this uncircumcised Philistine out there taunting the people of God. And he is filled with righteous indignation. How dare he challenge the people of God? And he says, I'll go fight him. And everyone says, ah, oh, you're just a kid. You're, you're too young. You're... And, and Saul says, well, if you're willing, here, at least take my shield, my sword, my armor. And, and, you know, it didn't fit David. It didn't fit right. That wasn't his style. And he says, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I've got a staff. I've got a sling, I've killed a lion and a bear, and with God's help, I'm going to kill this Philistine here. And he goes out and meets him in the middle. And Goliath sort of scoffs and laughs. He says, you know, you bring a kid to fight me? And David says, you know what, you, you may come against me with a spear and with a javelin and with a sword, but I come against you. And he's winging that, you can just see that sling Winding up, I come against you in the name of the Lord. And whoo, he lets that thing go and it lands in the perfect spot. Right between the eyes, right in the forehead. Boom! And he falls forward, flat on his face. And David walks over, unsheaths this giant's huge sword. And I'm sure it took all he had, but he raises it and he chops off Goliath's head. And he holds it up for the Philistines to see. And they all take off running. And guess who's running after them? The army of Israel. And a great victory was won that day. And, and, and everything's going great until that point. He, he marries the king's daughter. The king's 
son Jonathan becomes his best friend. He gets a great job, a great position in government. But what does Saul hear? He hears the people say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Now, how many have David killed at this point? Just one guy. But what are they singing? They're singing, we wish David was the king and not Saul. And Saul is filled with jealousy and with rage and with anger. David was brought in to bring, you know, some tranquility uh, to his life through the playing of the harp. But, you know, even that didn't calm him down. David, before he became a spear thrower, became a spear dodger because Saul made several attempts on David's life. And, And one day the spears are getting way too close and he has to run for his life. And David, at that moment, loses it all. He's in line to be the next king, but it all begins to unravel because of Saul's jealousy. First thing he lost was his job. 1 Samuel 18, 5 tells us what he did. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in what? The army. He was a military man. He was a man of blood. That's why he couldn't build the temple. But you know what? He was a successful military man, and he had a high rank. I don't know what you do for a living. Not everyone. I know some of you. But maybe you're at the top rung at the company that you work for. And now all of a sudden, someone comes along and says, you've just lost your job. How would you feel? And not only that, not only have you lost your job, you're going to die if you don't leave right now and you've got to flee for your life. That happened to David. The second thing he lost was his wife. Michael, his wife, says, you better leave, and you better leave quickly, or my daddy's going to kill you by morning. You know, she's not one of these, dear, wherever you go, I will go. It's not a Ruth type of a situation. <laughs> Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die. She's not about to give up her princess privileges, is she? She's grown accustomed to living in the palace, and she doesn't want to live out of a suitcase on the run. So he loses his wife. 1 Samuel 19, 11, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, said to him, If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. Bye. Great wife, huh? Number three, he loses his best friend. You know the Bible says there is a friend that is closer than a brother. That was Jonathan-David relationship. They had that kind of a a spirit, a bonding together. And in 1 Samuel 20 and verse 42, Jonathan said to David, go in peace. I know you got to run. Hate to see you go, but go in peace. For we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. And you know what? Those two best friends never saw each other again. Never again. King Saul and his son Jonathan will later be killed in the same battle together. But he lost his job. He lost 
his wife, and he lost his best friend. But on top of that, number four, he lost his mentor. Who was his mentor? Who did he go to for counsel and comfort and guidance? Samuel the prophet. And he's saying, Samuel, why is all this happening to me? And what's Samuel to say? Samuel just says, well, you know, all I know is God told me that you're going to be the next king, and that's all I know. 1 Samuel 25, 1, now Samuel died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. And he loses one more thing. Nobody wants to lose this. He lost his dignity. Have you ever had to act crazy to save your life? Act undignified while running, hiding out from King Saul, he found himself surrounded by another king from the other camp and a number of men. He's outgunned, he's outarmed, and there's no way he's going to get out of this. They were surely going to kill him, but he begins to act crazy and as, he's, as though he's out of his mind to save his own life. 1 Samuel 21, 13 says, And so he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a what? A madman. Was he a madman? No. But he had to act like he was a madman, making marks on the doors of the gates and letting saliva run down his beard. He has to make a fool of himself in order to save his life. That's pretty low, folks. What can a man of God do when he loses so much? Ever have a bad day and you're shaking your fist at God? This is a bad day, folks, when you lose all this. And how little it takes for us to get down. How little it takes for us to get discouraged. He lost his job, wife, friend, mentor. In the midst of all of this, do you know what he did? Rather than shake his fist in anger at God, he wrote a psalm. He wrote a psalm. How do you respond when you lose everything? At the lowest point in his life, he writes Psalm 34, I will extol the Lord at all times. See that word all? Just mentally circle that in your mind and place it there. What does that mean? That means that he, he, he honored God during the good times. When he killed a lion and a bear and a giant. Woo! Who wouldn't honor God? Who wouldn't extol God? Who wouldn't praise God? In the good days. But all also means what? In the bad days. When you lose it all. Don't we sing a song, guys? He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. No one has a hard time when coming home from work and saying, Honey, you're not going to believe this. I got a promotion and a big fat raise to go along with it. Praise God. No one has a hard time praising God in days like that. But how about when you come home and say, Honey, I'm so sorry. I lost my job today. Can you praise God? on the good days as well as the bad days. I think that's one of the things that made David a man after God's own heart. Lost a job, a wife, a best friend, etc. And he still 
praised God. In everything give, th give thanks, the New Testament says. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, not for everything. It says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus concerning you, I will extol the Lord at all times. It will be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name. And then look how he ends that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That was our response reading this morning that Isaiah led us in just a few moments ago. He lost a job, a family, a friend, dignity, and he writes... Taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you say that with me this morning? Taste and see that the Lord is good. On your good days, say that. On your bad days, say that. And you'll have a small glimpse of what it's like to be a man, a woman, after God's own heart. Amen? Number two, he maintained his integrity. Psalm 34, 22. And we'll close with this verse. A righteous man may have many troubles. Can you say along with it, David, amen to that? Anybody going through some many troubles today? You say, well, I must be doing something wrong. No, a righteous man may have many troubles. But the Lord delivers him from them all. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Integrity doesn't mean perfection. Integrity just means you keep your eyes on God. Integrity means you keep seeking God for the solution to your problem. You don't quit. You don't run away from God's people, God's church. By the way, just a slight correction there this morning, Robert, when you said... Bruce has always said the people are the church. I've never really said that. <laughs> the people are, uh, I'm sorry. I think you said the church is just a building. Yeah, the church is not a building. The church is the people. That's what you meant. I, I knew you did. But I wanted everyone else to understand there's a little correction there that needed to be in place. Because as God's people in his church, you will have good days, you will have bad days. But to be a man or a woman after God's own heart means that we will continue to seek Him for the solution to our problems and we will never, ever, ever leave His people. We'll keep on keeping on. Even when you feel like a misfit. Ever feel like a misfit Christian? Anybody, anybody besides me? Yeah, yeah, we've all been there. But at David's lowest point, he gathers an army of misfits, like 600 of them in all. These were the outcasts of life. And you know what he turned them into? He turned them into mighty men. Mighty men of valor, the Bible says. They became giant slayers. And it even indicates that one of his mighty men killed Goliath's brothers, who were giants. And that's how God sees you this morning when you were hanging in there during difficult times. Faults and all, he sees you as a mighty man of valor, as a mighty woman of valor. Faults and all, if you continue to have a heart toward God. Are you a man? Are you a woman after God's own heart?
You can be if you keep on trusting Jesus. Let's all agree to do that this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for every man, woman, boy and girl who makes up their minds today to have a heart for you, Jesus. Help us to be men. Help us to be women of integrity in spite of our failings and shortcomings. And even when we feel like misfits, help us to continue to look to you for the solution to our problems. Help us to have the guts to stay faithful even during the hard times. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what? Jesus is still the answer. If you've never claimed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today through faith, repentance, and baptism. Let us know if you want to do that this morning. Let's all stand and sing to the Lord.